0: We have brought our UTM system to several of those programs, their NASA programs and their FAA programs. In fact, we already have our system operating in Nevada, in Texas, in North Dakota, in Virginia.
1: Welcome to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, where the best minds in the drone world come to engage. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher at Inside Unmanned Systems, coming to you live from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., with your hosts, Sean Bullard and James Poss. Hello,
2: I'm Sean Bullard. And I'm James Poss. Together, we are Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. Sean, what are we going to cover this episode?
3: Well, James, we're taking the next step in urban air mobility. Kate Frazier of Uber Elevate gave us a great intro. Dr. P.K. Coparticar of NASA told us about their urban air mobility research program. Embraer X told us how they plan to build the aircraft. And now we're going to talk about traffic management, how these aerial taxis are going to get from pick up to drop off safely without running into one another.
2: Okay, that's good because traffic management is another really tough problem for urban air mobility. Now, there's a ton of companies working unmanned traffic management, but that's for small drones operating under 400 feet, you know, under part 107 rules. Now, obviously, the manned air traffic system is well advanced, but its solution to integrating with small drones is basically, you know, don't fly below 400 feet. And we all know there's a lot of manned aircraft flying uh, above 400 feet but that's for you know later episode. Traffic management for air taxis is going to require a hybrid system, one that can monitor small drones below 400 feet, deal with conventional manned aircraft and manage either manned or unmanned air taxis flying at higher altitudes. And of course now this is urban air mobility, so all this traffic management will take place in one of the very worst environments for aviation. Crowded cities with lots of air traffic, urban canyons that block signals, and lots of people to avoid on the ground.
3: Yes, indeed. And let's not forget that they have to get all of this past the FAA. FAA air traffic is real hesitant about allowing manned and unmanned traffic to mix, and they've never been asked to handle unmanned passenger drones. FAA air traffic is becoming a bit more flexible, which is always positive, but they are Mm -hmm. required to be one of the big naysayers for drones because it's just simply in their DNA.
2: Agreed. But we have just the woman to answer all these questions. Yes, we do. She is a real pioneer in the drone world, a leader in the woman in drones movement, an ex-FAA drone researcher for nearly three decades. She started when she was in kindergarten and a really good friend to both of us. Please welcome. The one and only Karen DeMayo, head of policy and government affairs at GE Aviation Zeros. Welcome to Drone Beat, Karen.
0: Well, hello, Sean and James. Thank you for the introductions. It's a pleasure to join both of you here. I've been looking forward to the opportunity of being part of Drone Beat's cutting edge discussions for a while now. Um, I'm really excited to talk with both of you about all the things uh, that have been happening in the aviation world, and especially my favorite topic unmanned aviation aircraft, and then the evolution towards what's beyond.
3: Karen, that sounds great. So, you know, James and I know your story very, very well. But could you share it with our audience? What, what made you one of the top drone experts in the nation? How, how did you get to be a drone enthusiast?
2: I, I, and there's a story behind the drone enthusiast thing. <laughs> the first time I met Karen was in 2015 at the world's very first um, unmanned traffic management uh, seminar, at NASA Ames. That's correct. And at the time you were with the FAA, yet you were not representing the FAA. Could you tell us that story?
0: Thank you, first of all. Um, And I often say that I don't believe anyone right now is really an expert in our field because it is literally changing so much and so quickly every single day. Um, But I do appreciate uh, the nice the kind things that you said. And um, though I will neither confirm nor deny your allegation of three decades in the aviation industry, I, I, I'm different.
2: again. She started in kindergarten. Yes, yeah, so
0: thank I you. Uh, I definitely am a long-term enthusiast in the unmanned movement and um, all the things that we're trying to do. How I got here was I actually worked for the FAA for about 28 years. For most of my career, I worked in the FAA's research organization doing applied. Uh, research modeling, simulation, flight testing, in support of all different kinds of cool and new operational concepts, um, the kind of things that we dreamed up to support to support the advancement of aviation. And that led to someone one day in about 2006, long before we met. Um, but I will tell that story. I promise, because it's a
2: fun one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, yeah. we're recording, and I'm watching you. You're getting I know getting out of this. So. so
0: back in 2006, when I was at the FA, someone asked me what I knew about UIS, and I said I don't even know what that acronym stands <laughs> for. Um, and that is pretty much what sealed my fate, because I always enjoyed challenge, and really there had not been very much going on in the agency at that time uh, with the integration of UAS into the national airspace system. So, um, you know, initially all our work there was with large UAS and the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, um, other government agencies for several years. And then, um, James, when you're talking about 2015, that's about the time um, that everything pivoted to a commercial industry focus and um, it was much more about smaller drones and low altitude and integration because NASA had come up with this really interesting concept for, uh, it's called UTM, Unmanned Aircraft Systems Traffic Management. And at that event that was held in Silicon Valley at NASA Ames um, at the Moffett Field, there was about... An expectation of about 900 or 1,000 people from industry going to convene at well, NASA. Well, it was actually
3: less than that. I remember it was they expected maybe 3, 4, 500.
0: Oh, that's what they expected. Yeah, they but, expected.
3: But then they had the over, just overflow. they had over 1,000 people. Correct. Register.
0: And I had been working in unmanned aircraft for a while in the research arena, so I, I had planned on going. And then... Once my colleagues at the FAA and the leadership found out what was going on at NASA, they decided, oh, you know, maybe this isn't just one of the regular programs. (laughs) There's about 900 or 1,000 people showing up. We should probably be there. And so I was sort of bumped out of line, which
2: was— you don't owe to Karen Demayo. <laughs> yeah.
0: And that was okay. So, as always, I got creative, and I said, okay, well, then I'm going to take vacation. And um, that's what I did. I took vacation, and I signed up, and I went as a private citizen, and I showed up. So I couldn't represent the FAA, but I went as Karen Drone Enthusiast. That's yes, where we met. <laughs> she
2: did. And, you know, you always meet a new person, so you're Karen, and you're from Drone Enthusiast. Okay, so— <laughs>
3: And you yeah. also did a little bit of drone racing in an earlier part of your career, right?
0: I I tried. I have to admit, I'm definitely not one of the, although I love the field, I'm definitely not a very talented pilot, but you always have to try, right? So,
3: Karen, can you embellish on UTM a little bit, having also been there at NASA Ames when we had the UTM 1.0, which was uh, exceeded
2: most people's expectations?
0: Uh, definitely, sure. So, for those that are, are sort of new to the industry, and and, that's- well,
2: and and for our listeners too. Keep in mind, we're going to do a whole episode on this, and hopefully, we're going to get you back to give more details. So, sure, whatever. I would love to do that. Okay.
0: Absolutely. So, UTM is is stands for it's an acronym within an acronym. It's unmanned aircraft system, so UAS, which we all refer to as drones. Traffic management system, and this was a concept developed by NASA. And it's about a platform for traffic management developed to allow the system to safely and efficiently integrate drones, specifically small drones, um, into low altitude airspace. Right. So that's that's where this all started. And and we've really evolved from that. It's hard to believe that it's only been, you know, four or five years Um because we've come yeah. a very long way. It seems like a
3: decade. It seems yeah. like NASA Ames 1.0 no. UTM was, was 10 years ago.
2: Yeah, no, NASA and, and FAA, FAA air traffic have been doing a great job at this.
3: Right, right, right. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing specifically today?
0: Sure. Um, Well, actually, maybe back up a little bit my last job at the FAA because I did do a lot of research. But in my last job at the FAA, I moved over into working at headquarters and I worked um, as a as a senior technical advisor in the deputy administrator's office. So that gave me a really broad um, perspective that I had not previously gotten in my career. So I could see things from a a whole agency perspective with NASA and the FAA and work on all the strategic initiatives for this integration. And it really got me much more interested in, and excited about being part of the commercial side of the industry. Right. So,
2: Karen uh, will we'll never toot her own horn, but let me translate that job for our listeners there. So you were working for the number two guy at the FAA, and you were the lead uh, drone technical advisor to that person. Did I get that right?
0: Uh that's correct. I was the technical advisor. And at the time- So the that's deputy, good, right? The deputy minister was Dan Ella and, at the and time. And
3: you were uh, at a pretty high altitude within the organization. <laughs> Higher <laughs> than
2: 400 feet, I think. Yes. Maybe she wasn't- Pun
0: intended. Okay. <laughs> Sorry so to interrupt. It was a fabulous experience and it really got me a lot of exposure. and And so- with that energy, I realized, you know, hey, it's time for me to maybe consider working on the other side of the team to bring my my enthusiasm, uh, enthusiasm. <laughs> over there. And and so I joined a rock star team at a company called Eros last year, shortly after I left the FAA. And uh, Eros is a wholly owned company of GE Aviation. And we're focused on unmanned aviation. But of course, we benefit from GE's 100 plus years of manned aviation expertise and being part of just an amazing um, aviation company. Yes,
2: I, I'm a living, breathing ex-airman as a result of uh, GE Aviation keeping me alive for 30 years in the Air Force. So we appreciate you everything you've done for us, GE. Well, we're, we're glad we could help.
0: <laughs> so uh, as far as what we're doing at Eros, Eros, we accelerate the safe and efficient scalable growth for the unmanned systems, and our main goal is to deliver services and solutions for UAS traffic management or UTM, as we were discussing earlier, and as everyone knows it in the industry now. To that end, what what we call an air mobility platform, which is part of our UT, which our UTM system is part of, uh, we provide also approval services for advanced US operations. Um, And we also are developing commercial-grade onboard intelligent avionics that would be um, suited for our UTM system. And it basically automates the task of flying any sensor on the aircraft, combines aviation-grade reliability, edge computing, sensor processing, deep learning, has an open architecture. So one of the things wow. that GE has always done well is building avionics. And so that is also a, a part of what we're doing at Eros as well.
2: Okay. Karen, you understand everything that you're doing in, in Eros and all that, but can, can you tell us something concrete that you're doing today in unmanned uh, traffic management that's going to be applicable to urban air mobility? What, what are you doing?
0: Oh, that that absolutely. Um, Eros is part of multiple uh, programs right now supporting the integration of UAS into the NAS. And we have brought our UTM system to several of those programs their NASA programs and their FAA programs. Um, in fact, we already have our system operating in Nevada, in Texas, in North Dakota, in Virginia. <laughs>
2: Excellent actual pronunciation yeah. of Dakota. Sorry. Yes. Yeah.
0: In uh, Choctaw Nation, we're also working in San Diego, Memphis, Ohio. So these systems are already out there. So the foundation is being laid, which will eventually, as we discussed earlier, um, evolve into the more complex systems um, and you know, once we get this working in low altitude across the U.S., uh, we'll we'll have, you know, we're already off to a great start. And we're really excited about all those programs. They've all been very successful so far.
2: Okay. All right. So, if I heard you right, you know, we, we met at the UTM conference. UTM is all about small drones under 55 pounds, mm-hmm. under 400 feet. Now, all of a sudden, Eros is interested in urban air mobility, which is anything but small drones without people on board. I mean, we're talking about uh, Sky Helicopters, for goodness sake. What got you guys interested in urban air mobility? That seems like a big jump from small drones to Sky helicopter, uh, Sky drone taxis.
0: Well, I think the answer, yes and no to that, like, like we heard from Kate Frazier at Uber and our friend PK at uh, NASA. From NASA, we see UTM as the foundational stepping stone toward the next generation of air traffic management. Where, as you said, we envision all air traffic to be integrated. So, whether it's drones or whether it's urban air mobility vehicles or whether it's traditional manned aviation, um, we see that it makes sense. For us to work with with all of those um, entities, because the end stage, they're all going to be in one system together. So, can you
3: answer for us with with your experience at the FAA? How do you think the FAA will evolve to support these new missions?
0: That's a really good question. So. Um,
2: nervous laugh yeah uh, (laughs) exactly
0: so first thing i want to say is that we definitely envision air traffic control and air traffic controllers still being a central part of the system for a very long time
2: okay so did you hear that faaat still humans (laughs) there we're not firing controllers just just want to make that clear
0: that's correct but but as this evolves um they will be interacting with a cloud-based digital system, which is different from what they have today. So we see that evolution moving into the national airspace system as UTM systems will manage off-airport areas um, as just another part of the same system. Eventually, it all has to work together. It's not going to be an easy feat, but someday we're not going to be talking about unmanned aircraft and manned aviation. We're going to just be talking about aviation. It's going to be one system like it is today, but it will be fully integrated.
3: You know, I almost want to follow up and ask you, is your experiences at the tech center, at the FAA's uh, tech center in New Jersey, I mean, did that give you some foundation, I, I guess, foundational awareness that you maybe didn't realize was going to be helpful in this complex airspace discussion?
0: So, so my role in the FAA as a researcher was always to look at advanced concepts and right. they were always far out 10 or 20 years right that is just how the work and, and that that's we,
3: that's the that's 15 years is the is the number that most people are saying throwing out there who actually know within the federal government when it comes to urban air mobility yeah, that sounds fair
0: i think that's a realistic a way to to think about an end state for urban air mobility of course i think there will be early opportunities you know to to, to see Parts of this working in different in different places in the national airspace system first, just like we're doing with drones. You know, we're starting in different areas of the country. We've developed programs that have been able to to put out sort of Petri dishes uh, for operations. We have the test sites. We have the programs supported by the president and the DOT. They call them the IPP programs, integration pilot programs, and, and, you know, opportunities like that. I think we're going to see similar things for urban air mobility, um, and that's really how we've always done it. We'll, We'll look at it in the laboratories, too. We all will as an industry, and I'm sure the government will. That's the processes that they use. And this takes time. When I worked for the FAA, we would just be making one small change that would take 10 or 15 or exactly. 20 years. Right, right. We're talking yeah. about revamping this whole system. Yeah. And the good news is I still see it taking the same amount of time, but a, a massive change because we've learned a lot. I've actually really seen the FAA change more in the last few years than in the first 25 <laughs> right, that I worked right. there. And it's very encouraging. Right. Um, I will also say that... I'm, I, I really like the fact that while with UTM NASA started this the industry kept it going and then FA slowly came around to um to to working and leading this uh head on it's it's definitely different from what i'm seeing now with UAM because the FA is already intimately involved from, mm, the, from really? the from the from the get go they already have it integrated into their programs Jay Merkel from the U.S. Uh, integration office already uh, told us that it's part of his portfolio. We've spoken to the Department of Transportation and they've announced that they are developed an emerging technology council. That's very encouraging because that's not just for drones and uh, urban air mobility It's also for anything going on in commercial space and things like that. So I think we're having all levels of government engage in this process like we've never seen before.
2: Okay, way cool. All right. Unfortunately, folks, we got to take a break to hear from our sponsor. But when we get back, let's ask Karen more about future
1: plans for Eros. Thank you for joining Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat, sponsored by Rodian Schwartz, a leader in test and measurement for radar and EW, satellite technology, avionics, navigation, and guidance. Rodian Schwartz products help protect critical infrastructures with drone detection and defense solutions. Learn more at InsideUnmannedSystems.com. Systems.com.
3: Welcome back, folks, to Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat. Karen, I'd like to get some more detail on timing and transition for urban air mobility traffic management. Uh, Kate Frazier from Uber Elevate was adamant Uber will start with manned sky taxis, uh, possibly over New York, uh, shift to optionally manned aircraft, and then go completely unmanned. How do you see the transition from small UAS flying at low altitude to supporting higher altitude passenger aircraft, either piloted or unpiloted? And, and, and better yet, is it all going to be mixed in with today's manned aircraft environment? My, my point is, is when When do you really think this is
0: going to become reality? I wish I had that crystal ball for us. (laughs) Right. But I think my best guess is we were just previously talking. It's going to take a while and we're going to take smaller steps in the beginning. And while I appreciate the ambitious goals that we've heard from the industry, um, there's still a lot to figure out in the regulatory and the technical world. And those two things don't always line up very well. Agreed. Yeah. So I I I actually don't think those are our biggest that's challenges. that's
2: why you're though. in government policy. So <laughs> yes. you're going to fix that. Yes, yes. Definitely.
0: There was, there's
3: been some numbers over the last couple of weeks, like 2023, and then it was 2028.
0: Well, honestly, I think that it's going to become more real and move more quickly when we see the public embracing it. That is really one of our, our biggest challenges. That's a good point. And um, that can actually help speed the process. So- you know, if we continue on this public education and public awareness campaign and we can gauge the temperature of the public on this, uh, then I think that will help move that, things that's along. That's a
2: great point because I, I think we'll all admit, you know, we right. really didn't understand uh, commercial small UAS until we saw that that YouTube from Amazon Prime Air about delivering packages. So you're saying <clears throat> you think the same effect is going to happen with uh, – <laughs> Drone sky taxis and and uh, let's not forget uh, Amazon Prime Air did get permission to deliver taxis. What last week and we really started well, packages, this, yeah, uh, packages taxis. Uh, we really started this about about twenty fifteen, so it wasn't that long. Yeah,
0: I think that's a really great advancement for all of us in the industry when when any of the industry partners move forward like that. And we never could have imagined that back when I was in the FAA when that you know was proposed right, and right. nobody everybody's head was sh- shaking in the wrong direction right. at that time but look where we are so we we really you know we heard those kinds of things it took maybe right. a little bit longer than expected but i think people on the other side of the fence thought that was never going to happen for a decade or two so
3: right right so now fast yeah. forward and and can you tell us what do you think back to the FAA what do you think is what, what do you think is the biggest rock there that they need to move out of the road when it comes to urban air mobility.
2: Yeah, I mean, is, is it technical? Is it policy? Is it people? I think. Don't name names, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's This is a really great question. And it's one of my favorites to answer because I, I really have, I think there's three specific. Really big rocks. Three really big rocks that that we're dealing with. Um, the first one is policy and innovation. So we touched on that a little bit what we need to realize is that we are profoundly changing aviation. And and innovation leads to innovation, which leads to more innovation. And so even if today we think we know what we're grappling with, we really don't know what's coming next. The tech is developing much faster than the policy and the laws and the regulations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, historically, policy has been reactive and bureaucratic and slow, restrictive, and they've been playing catch-up. As we mentioned earlier, um, with the OEM, we don't want to repeat that, right? And right. we're already seeing great signs that we're, we're on the correct path not to make some of those um, same challenges more difficult but by just watching. NASA's True. doing what they do best. They're, they've started the Grand Challenge, um, things like that. and. You know, we mentioned DOT and other agencies are on, started to get on board. There's been a lot of hearings about 2050. So this is all really encouraging things. Um, and the FAA has put UAM in their portfolio, as we mentioned. So I, I still think, though, that there needs to be a focus on where we are today before we can get to this next step. So we are grappling with, with rulemaking right now for the small drones. We the whole industry, and we really haven't touched on this yet, but um remote identification is something that I think everybody would agree Yeah, we,
3: we covered that very heavily on our on our last series. Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: very, very Yeah. We're not gonna ask you about it yeah, now, yeah. but when we get you back on the sure. UTM one, we're gonna grill you on it. So just 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 a warning. But
0: so working through those challenges, remote ID, ops over so people, safety, security, you know, spectrum challenges, cybersecurity, all those True. things that you talked about. About before and the authorities, you know, policymakers are relying on us as the innovators to also work uh, with them to to balance um, society's personal freedoms that they want with safety and privacy. So, policy and uh, innovation is one of them. This the second one that I think we need to think about is humans and machines. So, removing human judgment from the equation tends to bother humans and. We know that this system is moving to a more autonomous system and we have to think about okay. how we're going to
2: follow up question. On yeah. oh, oh, oh,
3: no, no. I was machines. at NASA Ames recently uh, yeah, where yeah. there was a, at least a 30, 45, one hour conversation on whether the human remains in the loop or on the loop or out of the loop.
2: Yeah,
0: well, whatever one of those we choose, we have to get comfortable with not only that, but also the concept that machines are going to be making ethical and moral decisions in transportation in the future. Good point. That's a heavy lift for all of us to think about. So, you know, new technology is always feared. And I think that's one of our biggest challenges along that line. I think the way that we can really help is through public acceptance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're really good at finding the problems and we're, we're good at the technology and the innovation and figuring out those solutions. But societal acceptance really is number one in my mind. And we all need to focus more on this. We need the consumers to adopt automation and mobility. And, you know, in the beginning, it's a very delicate line. People are reactive. We're going to make mistakes. Um, but we need to square that away and be OK with it. Uh, I think that is something that we all could work on now. Is mm-hmm. We don't need to wait for regulations or policy or any of those other pieces. And as the community, and, and DroneBeat is a perfect example of it, we're getting the information out there and we're educating the people and we're getting them excited about this really cool future where we may be in flying cars and moving faster. Because in my mind, right, <laughs> life is about, you know, time and having a more flexible mobility as humans gets us places faster more efficiently the systems that we build the air traffic management the utm systems urban inter- mobility that's all about us having a better yeah.
2: faster experience. and way cooler than we're doing it now exactly. Exactly. a way better
0: experience on earth so
2: you 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 gave me the lead in okay. you talked about humans versus machines and i right, let me get let me get a little bit more pointed and i'm going to ask the the question this on everyone's mind, or at least Sean and I's mind, do you see Aeros transitioning uh, from supporting unmanned traffic management to supporting manned traffic management? I mean, if your system works well for unmanned, optionally manned and manned aircraft, which is what we're going to get from this urban air mobility thing, uh, isn't it going to work at our nation's airports with airliners? Are we going to still need human controllers when you guys get done? And before you answer that, just te- assure me that you're going to be riding the train back to Philly because, mm-hmm. you know, we tra- traffic controllers get testy, so.
0: I'll definitely be uh, – I'll be riding the, the train back. But if I was flying, I would feel perfectly safe and right, secure. Good answer. Because uh, we do have the most uh, safe air traffic control system in
2: in the world. Even when they're angry at you. But, yeah. Uh,
0: um, of course, we – we envision that the system that we're building and we're just one um, of the companies that are that are part of this. It is it's foundational to transforming aviation and the infrastructure that supports it. So in my mind, if, you know, UTM works in low altitude for small unmanned aircraft or drones and then we evolve that system and, and it gets more sophisticated to be able to handle um, urban air mobility and potentially people flying in those cars. If it works in that environment, I, I certainly can envision that it it could be moving into that automation and uh, the ability to handle so much more traffic um could be very helpful uh, in transforming the national airspace system. But you know, I think we're gonna take it one step at a time.
2: Okay. Good answer. And I think you're I think you're safe. I don't think you made the air traffic controllers, man. So there you That's
0: go. That's good, because I like those guys.
3: Very good. Very good. Karen, thank you so much for giving us all hope that urban air mobility is not too far away uh, and giving us the confidence that Aeros is just the right person working on these important issues. I really hope we can get you back on the
2: show sometime in the near future. And James, what will we be covering in our next series? Ah, Funny you should mention that. In our next series, we're going to wade deeper into unmanned traffic management. Uh, Karen did a great job telling us the basics of UTM and how it re- relates to urban air mobility, but there's a whole bunch more on the subject that we're gonna cover next month. And uh, you know, no pressure, Karen, but we'd love to have you back. Uh, stay tuned for talks with uh, some of the highest flyers in the unmanned traffic management industry. Well, folks, that
3: concludes episode 16 of our Inside Unmanned Systems Drone Beat Urban Air Mobility Series. I'd like to thank our guest again, Karen DeMeo of Eros. See you
1: next month.
0: Thank you for having me,
1: both of you. Great having you. That's a wrap for this week's edition of Inside Unmanned Systems, Drone Beat. I'm Richard Fisher, publisher of Inside Unmanned Systems, saying farewell from the National Press Club in Washington, D.C.